This podcast is supported by Starglow Media's Mysteries About True Histories. From the creators of the hit top-ranking kids educational podcast in the world, Who Smarted, the Emmy-nominated Nat Geo Disney Plus's Brain Games and Netflix's Brainchild, comes Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, or math, in which kids ages six and up can hear humorous and educational stories that follow two best friends, Max and Molly, while they go on adventures through time, solving puzzles, hidden equations, talking about history, and making learning cool. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras's ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. When I drive my son to school in the morning, we listen to these episodes that fit perfectly in our commute, with the episodes being about 15 minutes long. And this podcast is right up my son's alley because he loves to solve problems and happens to love math and the types of punny jokes that Max likes to tell. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Welcome to Mom and Mind, where we dive into all aspects of perinatal mental health and wellness related to pregnancy, birth, loss, postpartum, and new parenthood. It's so much more than postpartum depression. We raise the volume on all of these topics in the hopes that someday everyone will have the support and info that they deserve before they need it. Please note this podcast is not a replacement for treatment by a professional or professional training. Welcome to Mom and Mind. I am your host, Dr. Kat, perinatal mental health certified psychologist. Rounding out Maternal Mental Health Month, we have a story from a working mom, wife, and proud daughter of Filipino immigrants, Lynette Madeja Bravo. She's going to be sharing with us her personal experience, what were some of the hardest things that she went through in the postpartum period that she was not expecting, how was it to navigate the healthcare system to find a therapist, returning to work after parental leave, and so many other things that I'm sure a lot of you can relate to. Lynette lives in the Pacific Northwest and is mommy to two-year-old Isabella. Professionally, she has worked for local government for almost a decade and is most passionate about serving those in her community that are most marginalized and furthest from opportunity. Overwhelmed by the unexpected realities of being a new mom, breastfeeding issues, and other life events, Lynette decided to seek professional help at eight weeks postpartum. Her experience with postpartum depression and anxiety ignited a passion for helping new moms and families. She is also passionate about decreasing cultural stigma and reducing barriers to mental health support and resources for those who need it most. She continues to work through her postpartum depression and anxiety with a specialized therapist and shares her story as a way of healing. She hopes to one day become professionally trained to become a therapist or a support person specializing in perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. A lot of people who go through a perinatal mood or anxiety disorder feel transformed by the experience. It is a life-changing event. And I think it's very worth it to say that not everybody goes on to change their career path. We do have a lot of guests on here who have gone through a lot and who have decided to turn around and help other moms. But I think it's also worth it to say that not everybody follows that path. And that's okay, too. Uh, I think it can be hard sometimes to hear stories of people who feel transformed and want to change their careers and want to go and do big things or write books or start foundations to feel like you also need to do more or to feel some pressure by that. I just want it to be so clear that if it's your calling and if it's what you want to do with your life to support and serve other people who have gone through perinatal mental health conditions, that's great. But you absolutely don't have to. There are many, many parents and families and moms and dads who do heal and who do feel better. And through hearing stories like Lynette's and all the different barriers that people can experience based on so many different factors, the hope is that for somebody out there, maybe even you, you can know that you are not alone and that you can feel better as well. Let's hear from Lynette. Welcome, Lynette. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Dr. Kat. Thank you for this opportunity. I'm really grateful to be here. I'm really glad to be able to share your story with our listeners and so thankful for you for coming on to share because I think it's an important one. So I'd love for you to just start wherever you feel comfortable. Great. Thank you, Dr. Kat. So I knew that I wanted to be a mom from a very young age. I loved kids, you know, babysat and nannied throughout my teenage years, helped out at church in the nursery and even nanny throughout high school and 
in college and I was definitely dubbed the mom of our friend group as well. Mm -hmm. And I got pregnant immediately after my husband and I got married almost three years ago now. Um, Shortly after we came home from our honeymoon, we found out that I was pregnant and it was completely unexpected, which was Mm -hmm. shocking to me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that came with a lot of mixed emotions. I knew I wanted to have a child, but I wasn't sure on the timing. And, but, you know, overall, I was extremely happy. My husband was really thrilled and excited. I think he was more um, excited than me because I was just so shocked. But it was a very easy pregnancy for the most part. I loved being pregnant. I have never felt so in tune with my body. And I loved shopping for my daughter. I loved getting things ready. But looking back now, I think that I romanticized motherhood during my pregnancy, Mm -hmm. um, maybe my whole life. And so for me, that was something that I've definitely reflected on in my pa- my postpartum journey. But sure. but in terms of that, you know, my pregnancy was pretty easy. I was really grateful for that. However, it did get tougher in the third trimester, as I'm sure it does for um, most pregnant women. And But looking back, you know, my job was also very demanding and stressful during that time. I also became very anemic and I required more visits to my OB. Oh, and gosh. I remember my yeah, and I remember my um, anxiety just running, like shooting through the roof around the birth process. I was scared of the pain. I was scared of dying. And, you know, at the time, my thoughts seemed very extreme to me. I didn't know that really what I was having were intrusive thoughts. So that this was is during pregnancy, yeah? Yes, yeah. And more, I would say more towards the third trimester as uh-huh. things were getting closer. And so birth came and it went as expected. Things were pretty smooth. There were a few scary moments, but overall it went better than I thought. Uh, my daughter came and I was just overwhelmed with love and joy. I was so happy, you know, that those moments that you see on TV or um, uh. that you, you know, can even see on social media. It was immediately was all that I really had dreamed of. And I, and I was really thinking in that moment, yeah, this is what I was made to do. I was made to be a mom. But as quickly as that adrenaline came, it wore off very quickly Uh as well. After our family left that first night, and it was just me and my husband, I remember we looked at each other and we're like, well, what do we do now? Like, Uh this is it. (laughs) This is like when you're going home? Actually, no, it was after that first, it was after our family left. um, Mm -hmm. And... And, you know, my husband and I were very family oriented, so we're very lucky to have great support systems. But I don't know what it was after them leaving that I was like, oh, wow, it's it's just us because my my mom and my sister-in-law and my husband were in the um, were in the birthing room with me, which which was great. And so I remember that same night there was I had this very clear thought. I just I I missed having her in my womb where it was safe Uh. and I couldn't hear her crying. She wasn't having a hard time eating. And so I remember that I had felt that way for, I would say, several months after my daughter was born. And, you know, breastfeeding didn't start so well. And looking back now, I think it was the biggest factor towards my postpartum depression and anxiety. And I knew enough that breastfeeding wasn't supposed to hurt, but I was so concerned that my daughter wasn't getting enough to eat that I let her just gnaw away at my nipples until they were Mm -hmm. raw. I I knew they weren't supposed, it wasn't supposed to hurt, but Mm -hmm. I was so concerned that she wasn't getting enough to eat that I just let her do that. And, you know, the nights in the hospital were a little stressful. Nurses were coming in and out and I would ask each one for help on breastfeeding and everyone has great intentions I'm so grateful for nurses but I was also very overwhelmed because everyone had something different to say Uh and I didn't know yeah and I didn't know whose advice to follow I remember not letting them take her to the nursery because I was anxious something would happen to her and I remember one night I was just having such a hard time with breastfeeding that one of the providers told me well you should just do formula Uh and I remember being really upset because I wanted to breastfeed and there's and there's nothing wrong with formula but for myself I knew that I wanted breastfeeding to happen and it was just so exhausting and you know it took me a while into motherhood to realize that at the end of the day my husband and I are the ones who know what's best for our daughter like we make the decisions Mm -hmm. I think so much in the hospital I was just trying to okay, who should I listen to? Right. Like, what's, which is the correct, which is the correct answer? And there, and in parenthood, we know there are no, there aren't correct answers. Every family is so different. Every parent is so different. So, so after we were discharged from the hospital, we went back um, after one night at home for our lactation appointment. And I remember the nurse practitioner taking a long time 
uh, to come back with some results. And apparently my daughter had lost over 10% body weight and needed to take formula right away and go to the NICU. But I remember I was so frustrated because I wasn't being walked through the process of what was happening. Uh, I this remember when you're just, at home? No, we actually went back to the hospital for a oh. lactation appointment. Oh, got it, got it. Yeah. How, so how it was far at the after hospital. birth? Sorry. Um, no, oh. that's all right. It was, I would say, hmm, maybe, I think, three days after giving birth. Okay. So apparently my daughter had lost over 10% of her body weight. And they just, I remember her just saying she needs to take formula right now. And I was like, wait, hold on. But why? I'm not understanding, right. you know, why my milk isn't in, why my milk isn't enough. And so, and she was also, I guess, had jaundice. And so, and I remember the nurse practitioner was telling me, you need to go to the NICU right now. And so I think so much of early, especially those first few days, yeah. you're just, in, you're in such a fog. It's very numbing. Mm-hmm. So I didn't realize the gravity of her statement until we got to the NICU and the nurses were, you know, they were asking each other. We, we, we remember seeing them huddle around and it turned out that that 10% body weight that she had lost. And actually now that I think about it, it might be a little bit higher was grossly inaccurate. <laughs> like she was weighed incorrectly. So oh, gosh, yeah. So in reality, we didn't need the NICU. We could have had, but I, I felt so much hurt because I'm like, wow, I can't, I have only had my baby for three days and I can't even feed her correctly. Mm-hmm. But you know, looking back, I was really grateful for that NICU stay because that's where I learned how to pump. That's where I even learned to wash bottles. I think those things you don't think about while you're pregnant, right? At least mm-hmm. I didn't. I didn't think about, oh, I should learn how to pump. I should learn how to wash bottles. I was too concerned about how would her nursery look like? You know, sort of the things that we can, that are, are not necessarily wrong, but I think we can get so caught up in that, that I, I felt naive for not being more realistic about the realities that can come with motherhood. So, so again, you know, breastfeeding was just the hardest part of that early time. I didn't produce as much milk as I thought I would. I put so much pressure on myself and didn't want to do formula. And I'm not sure why. There's just, there's nothing wrong with it. I don't know. I think it was pressure from media, mm-hmm. from extended family. I'm not sure what that was. But So in, in terms of what was going on w- between the lactation appointment and the NICU, were they suggesting that your supply was, was too low or that, that the whole NICU stay was not even necessary or both? I think it was a little bit of both. Uh-huh. I, one, she, one, her jaundice levels were pretty high, uh-huh. so they wanted her to, you know, spend some time under the under the light. However, we realized we could have done that at home. Um, but since we were at the NICU anyway, for what they thought was extreme weight loss, they said, you know, let's just keep you. So I think it was a little bit of both, and. I believe their concern was just making sure that she would gain back that weight that she lost right after birth. So since I wasn't pumping enough milk, or so they said they wanted to supplement with the formula, which was fine with me. I realized, you know, the gravity of the situation. So I was fine with doing it. But I was more hard on myself for saying, well, why, why isn't my body making the milk sure. that she needs? Right. Which I know now is what she needed, right? But in the thick of it, it was just so disappointing to me. Mm. That's hard. Well, it's it's so much to deal with in just three or four days after birth. And you're still you're still in the process of just like your baby just came here. Your body yes. is trying to heal and, and it's a lot, a lot to try yes. and work like understand. Yeah. So, you know, breastfeeding and sleep are just the biggest things for me. It turned out my daughter had a tongue tie and so we got that fixed. And in my mind, having that fixed meant that she would eat better and mm you know, that wasn't the case. We had to end up doing these stretches to the wounds and I just felt like I was hurting her mm-hmm. and she, it wasn't getting better. Weeks would pass. She wasn't eating enough. I was pumping. We were doing formula. We were doing all different things. I was losing sleep. So anxious about wanting to get this right. And everything that I tried to control that didn't work out, it just made things worse. And My daughter was also very colicky. She woke up every two to three hours and she never slept a long stretch. Mm -hmm. And by long stretch, I'm I'm meaning three to four hours Mm -hmm. until months after she turned one. Mm -hmm. So, so Mm -hmm. in that first year, I let her nurse throughout the night and we co-slept, which to this day, I don't regret any of that time. You know, it's, it wasn't always comfortable, but I cherish that those precious moments, um, just me and her throughout the night. And, but, you know, through all, throughout all of that, I ended up taking my daughter to different feeding therapists. I went to different 
breastfeeding support groups, which were all, you know, a little, it was quite a ways away. So there was a little bit of traveling, but I remember telling myself, I'm going to do anything that I can in my power to make this work. And, and, you know, I would say several months later, I saw a therapist and something that she said to me said, at what point are you okay with telling yourself that what you did was enough for your baby? Mm -hmm. Because I was just trying to do so many things Mm -hmm. to control the situation. And that really made me, made me rethink. But this podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go. And that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Uliana Ortube. And she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy The Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of The Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. I have a, a question because I think a, a lot of moms have um, feeding anxiety, um, mm-hmm. specifically with nursing, because you can't, literally, you can't tell how much they're drinking at any yes. given time. So it's hard to gauge. And um, so sometimes babies are feed, being fed enough, but the anxiety mm-hmm. make, it makes the mom worry that they're not. Yes. Um, and then sometimes there is, um, you know, a supply uh, complication mm-hmm. and uh, the anxiety or the worry is because it's been confirmed that there is, um, you know, a feeding challenge. Uh, so where did that end up for you? I'm glad you brought that up, Dr. Kat, because you saying that reminded me at every pediatrician appointment that we had, her pediatrician assured me she was on track. She was gaining weight, mm. you know, no issues. But I was in denial. Oh. I, was in, I was in denial, and I'm not sure what that was. Um, maybe because I had translated, you know, she's not sleeping at night, which means she's not eating at night. But we okay. know that, you know, some babies, they just don't sleep, you know, consistently <laughs> in that first year, which, of course, I know now, but back then I obsessed over it. Did it feel obsessive at the time? It did. Mm-hmm. And after, you know, a few months later when I was processing it with my therapist, she she said, you know, I'm, I think you might have had OCD tendencies uh-huh. during that early time. But for me, it's like, well, isn't this just what being a mom is? I just need to make sure that she's okay. Like, what am I doing wrong? But yes, I would I would think that it's obsessive because even when, you know, her doctor told me she's fine. You know, my husband's like, she's fine. I, I was in such denial. So I think, yes, it definitely was a little bit obsessive. Okay. Yeah. I thank you so much for bringing in all of this, but very specifically that part of, of the question. And also right now, it's very relevant now because anxiety is just higher um, yes. just in this current pandemic. And so I've been seeing this particular anxiety come up more and more just in, in mm-hmm. you know, in general with new moms because, I mean, you want what's best for your baby and that's so natural and so real and so deep. 
And it's really hard to tell when the anxiety is the anxiety or when it's a real yes. like thing that you actually need to attend to. And that can take many, many different uh, forms during this period of time. Um, but with nursing, uh, breastfeeding, it's really, really hard because it's, yes. it's, it's from your body. Um, and there's mm-hmm. no way for that to not feel personal. Mm-hmm. Oh, of course. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. And No, thank you. So throughout this time, you know, my crying, I would just have such random crying fits. And it was particularly hard when my mom and husband went back to work and I was at home alone with my daughter. Mm -hmm. So we are a multi-generational household. My mom lives with us. My younger brother lives with us as well. So I'm very grateful for that support system. So that's another piece for me too. I felt a lot of guilt around my postpartum depression and anxiety. Mm -hmm. I felt that I had no right to feel what I feel because my baby's healthy. I didn't have a particularly traumatic birth experience. I have lots of support at home. You know, we are a very privileged family. You know, we're two income households. We have a roof over our heads. And so I felt a lot of of guilt around my postpartum. Like, how dare I feel this way And there, when there are so many other moms and families suffering more than us, right? So but I learned to feel what I, what I feel and to stop comparing traumas because all of our stories are so yeah, unique. Right. But during this time, you know, I didn't feel bonded to my baby. I felt just so disconnected and I missed my old life immensely. And at the darkest moments, I just felt so unequipped and terrible that I became suicidal for the first time in my life. Mm-hmm. And that was really scary to me because I had never felt that way before, right. ever. Right. I'm, I'm a generally very positive person and just the i knew i wouldn't act on it but just the just the thought coming coming to my head was just really scary for me to have yeah i remember i would just dread nighttime because i knew i wouldn't be able to sleep well and i knew and then i dreaded morning because i knew i'd be alone in the house again and i think you know my sense of time was just so warped i couldn't see the end of the tunnel so much of early parenthood just felt like loss after loss. I mm. couldn't get breastfeeding right, at least to my expectations. And I couldn't get enough sleep. I missed time with my husband. I missed mm-hmm. spontaneity and the ease of leaving the house. Right. And also, you know, my friendships shifted. I and the, I was the first of my friends, at least my close circle of friends, to have a baby. And I felt a lot of isolation and a lot of loneliness from my support systems. And you know, a few people from my systems would help with food and visits, but, you know, the ones that I expected the most from it just didn't happen. And mm-hmm. and that's just a projection on myself. You know, everyone has busy lives and it's hard to empathize with someone, you know, for some folks, if it's just not happening to you, right? right? Like all of us have things going on. So that was just more something that I was thinking for myself. And, but I think I just felt unheard Mm -hmm. unseen and really inadequate. I felt like nobody could relate to me except, you know, maybe my husband, my mom and my brother who was living with us. And I really clearly remember going days without stepping one foot out of the house, not even to check the mail or get, you know, get some fresh air. And I didn't realize it until my husband or my mom would say, hey, maybe you should just step out for a few minutes. And I didn't Uh want to do it. I just wanted to be in my house. I just never realized that. And it came to a breaking point for me at eight weeks postpartum. I had terrible pain in my abdomen that brought me to the ER. Mm -hmm. The The pain was so unbearable actually, I would say it was a lot worse than contractions. <laughs> I was telling my husband, I'd much rather have contractions than this. I don't know what this, I have no idea what this pain is. And what the doctor thought was appendicitis was actually diverticulitis, a diverticulitis flare. Wow. And so I was diagnosed with diverticulosis and it didn't help that my doctor had said this disease is most typical in those over age 60. So oh, right. yeah, um, he's like, helpful. well, it's, yeah, I'm like, that's not helpful. And And at that moment, I felt so defeated. I was upset because I was away from my baby. Um, Thankfully, I was able to pump, but I was stressed out because I knew I wouldn't be able to feed her that milk that I was pumping because all the medicines that I was on. Mm -hmm. And the doctor told me that diverticulosis flares are triggered by stress. And I was beyond stressed at that point. And yeah, and so this was my breaking point, you know, the stress and fatigue that I was experiencing, I realized was now manifesting through my body. Mm -hmm. So I knew I needed to get help. And so I decided for the first time in my life to see a therapist. And I had my appointment at nine weeks postpartum. 
And I remember it being so hard to get out of the house for the first session. And I think because, you know, I never paid much attention to mental health before. And I think it's because there's so much taboo and we know that mental health can be stigmatized for sure. And especially in my culture and not only in my culture, but in my faith, I'm a Christian. And so I think so much we try to push our problems to prayer, which is helpful for me. I know that's powerful and needed, but I also know that people are gifted with the skills to help people process through what they need to process. And so Mm -hmm. now I truly know the importance of mental health and how much we don't pay attention to it. Mm -hmm. And it's important to me because I can see how it wasn't prioritized in my family and my community. And, and because of that, how that hurts ourselves and others and future generations. Uh, So you'd mentioned a little bit before about how culture played a part. Um, Can you expand on that a little bit? So I would say that, Growing up, I didn't really know how to talk about my emotions or how to express how I felt. I think that I always had this idea and that this you know, can come from many places that getting mental health treatment must mean that you're crazy, that something's uh-huh. wrong with you. Sure. And admi- admitting that you need help is, can, is shameful, right? And I have this idea of that I must be successful and I can't show signs of weakness, especially in being a mom, right? Because this is what, as a woman, I'm supposed to do and this is what we're made to do, right? At least, and that's what we're socialized to think because we know that not Mm -hmm. everyone desires to be a parent and that's okay. And so I think a lot of that kind of translated into just not wanting to also be vulnerable and share about what's going on in, in my own personal life, I think. That's just something that brought in a bro- more broad sense as a culture, there can be a lot of pride behind that. Like, oh, well, we're, we're doing well. And I think some of it might be, you know, my parents um, are immigrants. And so in that, right. From, in, the, from the Philippines. From, from the Philippines, yes. And because of that, them immigrating to this country, as we've seen with a lot of immigrant um, parents and their children, they've had to assimilate to this country. They've mm-hmm. had to to say goodbye to their culture, you know, told that their language is not okay, told mm-hmm. that they have to learn English. And so I think a lot of that um, translate into, well, we need to make sure that we're doing well and that other people know we're doing well, which is, yeah. you know, which, which can, which is, can be true and is true. Yeah. But I think sometimes showing vulnerability isn't always the best way to go about that. Sure. Yeah, I think that, that thank you for bringing that in because I, I do think um, culturally speaking, that is a, like an unseen pressure that certainly uh, a lot of immigrant cultures um, feel. And um, I, I just think it's really, really important. And, and there, there may be very yes. different um, ways that that's expressed in Filipino culture, you know, the, the nuances of culture and whatnot. But I do... I do see that it's, there is a lot of pressure. It's not nothing, you know, nothing specifically good or bad. It just, it is what it is when you're coming to a different country and, um, you know, wanting your family to be healthy and um, yeah. Exactly. And, you know, I think that, and also I think there's a generational difference too. And I grew up here in the U.S., you know, I was born in Guam, mm-hmm. and so I wasn't raised in the Philippines. But I think that younger generations that are raised in the U.S. often have a better understanding of mental illness and access to mental health care than maybe those in our family. And so, mm-hmm. but I, I'm encouraged to see that so many of us are wanting to have that healing for our family, for mm-hmm. our generations, right? Like, that is something that I'm so passionate about. And, you know, aside from, you know, coupled with the, with working with moms, but um, there's so many of us that are wanting to, to bring that healing for our families as well. And us sharing our stories is part of that. Right. So, so I kind of cut you off um, no, it's <laughs> okay. from your, from your, your, the timeline of your story to yeah, no, it's okay. <laughs> dive into that a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. But you were uh, in your story, anyhow, you were kind of, um, kind of talking about the, the after effects of this diverticulosis. Mm-hmm. Yes. I started seeing a therapist at nine weeks postpartum and she diagnosed me with postpartum depression and anxiety. And I saw her on and off throughout that those first couple of months. I remember I think I went seven months again without seeing her because I felt like I was doing better. But then I went back to see her when my daughter was a little over a year old. So, you know, it, it, it came in in waves when I would feel 
good about certain things. It definitely got a little bit easier as my daughter started taking solids, right? And things mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, a few theme- themes that I've noticed in the first year now that I'm out of the fog. Mm-hmm. Looking back on that period in my life, there was a lot going on in my life. I had a lot yeah. of big, big transitions in very quick su- succession. I got married, had a baby right away, mm-hmm. and I was dealing with a lot of extended family issues at the time that I felt a lot of heaviness for and a lot of responsibility for. Mm-hmm. I also changed jobs. So oh, right before, yeah, right before I gave birth, I actually transitioned over to a less, a less hectic job <laughs> um, because I knew that I needed to be in a different role to care like I wanted to for my daughter. And then I had this new health diagnosis that I have Mm -hmm. to live with for the rest of my life. So there was just a lot going on. I also realized that I was trying to be who I was before and my new self. Yes. Yes. So hard. (laughs) Yes. So hard. And I led a very, I would say a pretty ambitious, fast paced former life. Mm -hmm. I was very active in my community. I was doing a lot of different things. And I guess I was trying to prove to myself that I could do all the things I did before I had a baby and more in in all of those realms, in my career, my work in the community. So I, I guess I was trying to prove to myself that I could do all the things I did before and more in my career, my work, in my community. And really what got me back to where I am now is just also returning to my faith, I also felt really disconnected from my my church community, and that was just my own fault. <laughs> um, you know, in everything that was going on, I just isolated myself from all mm-hmm. of my support mm-hmm. systems. But my my faith was really a strong one for me; is a strong one for me. So for for me to self isolate from that didn't help either. And all of that, returning to my faith and and coupling with therapy, helped to heal me. So so those were some of the major things major themes that I noticed in the first year. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics, depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. Uh, yeah. Though, yeah. Thanks for pulling those out, and in, in terms of like you know your your experience, because it's it, when you're in it, it's so hard to know why it feels so hard. Yes. Um, like what all the context is, the why, mm-hmm. um, outside of you know the things that we don't always know, like hormones and biology yes. and genetics yes. and all that. But um, oftentimes, I you know I do find there's some life things that um, are hard to to see how big the impact is when you're in them. 
Yes. That, that reflection afterwards really does help to give it the context. And I think for some people too, some, some release of guilt uh, too, mm-hmm. as a way to explain like, oh, this is why it, it was so hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, all these things were going on. Yes. And you can't see that when you're in the fog, <laughs> when no. you're in the thick of it, you know, no. and that takes time, which I think is the hard part. Right. Looking back on your experience, what was the hardest thing you experienced that you weren't expecting to? Sure. So there, you know, there are a few things here. I would say first, the grief and mourning. I Mm -hmm. didn't realize how much I would grieve the life that I used to have, my Uh career, the loss of free time, spontaneity, my body, time with my husband and just leaving the house. And with that, you know, it was... I felt a lot of guilt about this. Sure. You know, again, here's my healthy baby. I have the ability to birth a child. And here I am mourning my past life. Like, how dare I feel that way, right? So um, I also, it was really difficult for me to look at pictures from Mm. that first year. And also before I was pregnant, or even when I was pregnant, it was really hard for me to look at pictures. I remember scrolling through my phone and I just, I, 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 I came to find out that was a trigger for me. So I stopped doing that. Um, oh, good. And, and now, you know, I'm able to do it. But back then, I just couldn't do this. And just that duality of desires, you know, there's so many things that you want to keep doing, but you can't. Um, another thing that was hard was managing expectations. And I learned very quickly that expectations were best to be let go of in parenthood. I mean, right. I meant, I mentioned this earlier, but so much of, of motherhood I romanticized. And while motherhood is my biggest joy, I do wish that we were more open and honest about the realities and struggles that new parents face in that yeah. first year, particularly that first year. And there's just so much that we can't control, right? Sleep, teething, emotions. I think we forget that our children are their own people, right? They're also, yeah. tr- they're also trying to adjust to the world. And so just managing our expectations on that, I didn't expect to have to do. And, and also just this major identity shift. I didn't know who I was anymore. I felt like I was a milk ro- robot. <laughs> I felt I felt like I was supposed to enjoy motherhood. And I was just exhausted trying to be a good wife, daughter, sister, and mom all at the same time. Right. And so, but I'm grateful because having, you know, children, they force you to slow down, right? They, mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm grateful that my daughter has helped me to slow down and just enjoy life in that process. And two other things that I, I, didn't expe- I didn't expect to experience is just how much of your past will resurface. Mm-hmm. And by oh, that... Oh boy, that's a big one. I know. I'm so, <laughs> like, what is going on? <laughs> yeah. So, and, and by that, I mean, you know, past trauma, unresolved yeah. issues, mm-hmm. ch- my childhood experience, how mm-hmm. I was raised, and how do I want to translate or take what, take what that looks like for me and how I raised my daughter. Right. And so... I continue to go to therapy to work through my own issues so that I don't pass my own personal trauma onto my daughter and in the next generation. And this is something that I've come to realize is so important that I need to be well mentally so that I can model this for my daughter yeah. and also and also serve my family the best way that I can too. Right. And awesome. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah, that's a that's big work. It's hard work. And right. and the last yeah. And the last one, cultural reawakening for me. I have this deep mm-hmm. desire to understand my Filipino roots on a deeper level, you know, learn my family history, learn more about yeah. the history of um, the Filipino people, the Filipinx people, and pass that on to my daughter too. My husband is Mexican, and so he also speaks Spanish. I understand my um, family's languages, but I don't speak it. I have this desire and need to keep passing on all that rich- richness onto mm-hmm. her. And one of my words for 2020 is generational. And so I I think I have this innate fear that things will get lost as generations continue. And I just, I feel a heavy weight sometimes to reduce that as much as mm-hmm. possible. And, and, it's, and it's been really great because I'm learning alongside my daughter too. So that's mm-hmm. been a, a fun journey for sure. 
I love this. It That's so good and so real. And honestly, you made me remember a little part of my own postpartum experience that is similar to that, that I totally spaced on. So thank you for that. Mm. <laughs> um, it no that is that is so powerful. Mm. Um, and I, yeah, you caught me by surprise. I didn't. Mm. Uh, yeah, just resonated with you. So that was lovely. Mm. Um, thank you. Yeah, that cultural stuff is so so powerful. Um, yes, I'm. I it's just be. I'm, I know so many people will be able to resonate with you mm. on that too. And I think part of that is this identity shift, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm trying yeah. to figure out, I'm a mother now. What am I going to teach my daughter? You know, yeah. how, what am I going to teach her about who she is and um, where she's come from, right? right? This powerful line of women in my family who I'm so proud of and I learn yeah. more about every day, right? I want her to know what that looks like, even on my husband's side with his sisters and his mom. Like, there's just so much rich history there that that I didn't expect to want to learn about when I became a mom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So so that's a big piece of my journey as well. How cool. I love that. Mm -hmm. There's probably so much healing in there too. Yes. I feel more whole. I -hmm. think, you know, so many of those things are coming back into place for me. Mm -hmm. My faith, feeling reconnected back to to Jesus, right? That's a big thing for me personally. Mm -hmm. And getting back to who I am as a person, my ethnicity, my heritage, my history. So a lot of that is just coming full circle for for me. So cool. I'm happy for you. That's awesome. Thank you. That's awesome. That's (laughs) awesome. Going back a little bit to when you were uh, talking about um, finding a therapist and how that was for you, can you talk to us a little bit about what that was like? Sure. It was difficult in a sense that I wanted to see a therapist who who was a woman that was important to me, but more particularly a woman of color. And I also wanted someone who was specialized in PMATs. Mm-hmm. And, and it was just difficult to find someone who was specialized in that, at least up here in the Pacific Northwest. Mm-hmm. And I'm grateful for the work that all therapists do, but for, I just wanted to connect with someone who you know, could, could relate to my story, right, as a woman of color. So that was really important to me. And I thought that if it was so difficult for, for me to find that person, one, I have insurance. So, you know, my, and my insurance covers that. So I'm very grateful to have that and privileged to have that. But it was just so difficult because I, I think the specialization piece is so hard. Yeah. And I've seen therapists before that I have learned so much from, but I know that maybe it could have gone a step further if maybe they had kind of understood more about okay, this is how postpartum depression is playing into right. her story. So I, I realized there was a lack of that. And also a Filipina therapist, right, who was specialized in that. So part of me is like wanting to be that person. But <laughs> you're right. Um, yeah. 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 So <laughs> um, and so I think so it was difficult to do that. I now I so I went through a few therapists, all who I'm very thankful for and learned so much from, but now, but you know, it it takes a few, it, you know, it takes a little while to find someone that you connect with. And I now see someone who is a woman of color and is specialized in postpartum depression. And, and she has been such a gift to me and she's also a mom. So she understands, she just understands. And so I am really grateful that I'm able to see her now, but throughout my journey to find access to a therapist, I just kept thinking to myself, I wish this was easier. I wish it Mm -hmm. was more normalized to see a mental health care provider. I wish that we prioritize it as much as going to see our general practitioner or a dentist, right? But it it was difficult. And I think also what made it hard was there were a lot of long waiting lists, especially with those who were more specialized. Yeah, right. And, Mm -hmm. but I think that also shows you how much need there is if that if that's the case. Yes, you can say that as loud as you want. <laughs> I know. I'm we sure need help. <laughs> yes, I know. There needs to be more more of us. Yep. So whenever yeah. you're ready, please okay. please come. <laughs> I know. I would love to. <laughs> so that's all I wanted to say on that particular question. Sure. You, want. you found a therapist, and it took you a little while to find a good fit. Um, so therefore, kind of you know, a little bit prolonged how quickly you could feel better. Um, how did that impact your your work and returning to work? And what was that process like? Sure. Returning to work was extremely difficult. I'm grateful because I had six months off. And, but although I had that six months off, I do, I'm a strong advocate for having much longer time off for moms and, yeah. new, and new parents. Yeah. 
It was a tough transition, but specifically with pumping. And I also returned to a new job, one that was much slower paced than my previous job. So I missed a lot of those aspects. I missed being in a fast paced environment, but I knew that's not what I needed in this season to be the mom that I wanted to be. I also felt a lot of guilt sending her to daycare. Um, I missed her a lot. I mm-hmm. cried a lot in the first few weeks. However, I think going back to work saved me and helped with my mental health to have that break. But again, I felt guilt about that. Right? <laughs> the mom, yeah. the mom. It's everywhere. <laughs> yes. And and her daycare is really great at sending photos throughout the day. But I remember in that first year, it was really hard for me to see them, especially when she first started walking and hit other milestones that I wasn't present for in the moment that it happened. So that was difficult as well. And I also had to fight some battles with HR about pumping um, during the workday. And it, re- it made me realize how unsupportive workplaces can be for new parents returning back to work, whether that's pumping or having flexibility to in schedules. I think there's just so much that we can do to improve that for parents in the workplace for moms, dads, partners. Mm -hmm. Um, But, and it's something that I've gotten a lot better with now. And I think especially in this time of quarantine, I've realized how much of my life, my daughter's life that I miss throughout the week. And you know that's a hard thing for me to to yeah. wrestle to wrestle right. with but the reality reality is you know people have to work people mm-hmm. have to pay bills and so i am hopeful that we can find more solutions to be innovative and creative about being supportive with parents in the workplace. And my employer, my supervisor have always been supportive so i'm grateful for that but i know that other families aren't as lucky. Right? Uh, that all of that is so true. I mean, we just need so much more support than we have. And the idea that people are just supposed to return to work so quickly is, is sort of ridiculous. You know, mm-hmm. we just, like this first year of life is really um, yes. important, not just for the baby, but for us too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I fully yes. agree with everything you're describing. Mm-hmm. So you've been through quite a lot um, and lot, lots of different ups and downs and things you've had to work through. And uh, now you've, you've come so far and come out of it and come through it. What would you say to anybody who's going through it right now? Uh, any kind of hopeful messages for them? Sure. My daughter will be two in a few weeks and, you know, it takes time. I'm just now sort of accepting, embracing and feeling like my new self. There's still a lot to process, but I would like to remind moms that, you know, you have everything that you need (laughs) to be a great mom and a great parent. You know, your confidence in parenting will ebb and flow. There are still hard days and Mm -hmm. I know there'll be more to come. My daughter had a seizure back in February and that was just a Mm. few months ago. And I felt that that completely regressed my healing. Yeah. But, but, you know, I've accepted that parenting is full of hard moments. There's always constantly a new thing to tackle, but the most beautiful thing in all this, and I think is such a paradox is that I've never felt such deeper love, passion, and reward. It's also humbling to me and it's really cliche. It's so true, but you never know. You could love someone as much as your kid. (laughs) (laughs) And I know that each day I'm just, I continue to be refined and I know I was called to do this, to be a mom. And I think also that self-care is so important. Mm -hmm. Self-care can seem, or at least to me, it was just a new concept. I'm like, what does that mean? Like I'm a person who's constantly going, like, I don't know what that, what that means. (laughs) And so I, I learned to prioritize that despite the mom guilt, right? Because I see that as when we're taking care of ourselves, when we, when we're choosing to prioritize ourselves as moms and as parents, that makes us better parents to our children. And so prioritize yourself every day take at least five to 15 minutes to do something for yourself and I realize that's easy for me to say because I'm not a single parent and I have support at home but I hope that parents will find time to do this and to give give ourselves grace we're so hard on ourselves Mm -hmm. I was so hard on myself in that first year and I I know that if I were to do this again which my heart is more open to now something I couldn't say just a few months ago Mm -hmm. I know what I would do differently and I think just as much as we plan, you know, that we have birth plans, make a postpartum plan, reach Mm -hmm. out for help. Don't hesitate. Don't, you're not alone in this, even though in your darkest moments, it may feel that way. 
you know, reach out and don't isolate yourself because I think that's when things, that's when depression and anxiety tends to creep in. And one last thing I'll also say is trying to go back to doing things that you love. I am very intentional about keeping time that I need for myself. And I'm working on making sure that doesn't feel selfish to me because I know that I need that time to be a good parent and a good mom. But I'm I'm grateful because even through this journey, my support system, my mom, my husband, my brother, they've also learned what I need to be okay. They've also, they've also seen, okay, Lynette's having a hard time. She needs a break. And so again, I'm very grateful to have that, have that around, but I would just say to give yourself some grace, prioritize yourself and reach out for help. Don't hesitate. I'm very open about my postpartum journey and I know that other moms aren't and that's okay. But if you ever need someone to talk to, you can reach out to me or your support systems. Oh, thank you for that. That's that's very kind. Yeah, all of that. Those are all great pointers. And definitely if if and when people can engage in those things, they yeah, they can begin to feel better. And and I really specifically appreciate you bringing in how, you know, the the comment you made about your heart now being open to possibly a mm-hmm. second child. This is yeah. so real. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's so hard to even imagine going through something uh, like what you've been through again. And to your point that you yes. know what, <laughs> to your point, like, you know what you would do differently to help mm-hmm. prevent it from being that experience. And you know so much more now. Yes. So yes. whether you whether you do or not, that's, you know, that's up to you and for the future. But just for that relief to be embodied in, in the sense that, you know, your, your heart can be more open to this. Yes. So that's part of the healing. Yes. Um, and and I, it require an outcome of any kind in order yes. for that to be a true feeling now. Yes. Yeah. And I'm right now I'm just basking in that feeling of, okay, I'm feeling this. This is great. That, that means I'm healing. Cause yeah. I, I know I couldn't, I wouldn't, I couldn't say that just a few months ago or even when my daughter was born, I'm like, Nope, this is it. I'm done. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. to feel this way is I'm very happy with where I am. Fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing your story and your experience with us and all of these great pointers. I appreciate you for coming on. Thank you, Dr. Kat. I have listened to your podcast even when I was pregnant. So I'm so grateful for you and your gifts and all that you share with the world. So I'm very grateful for you and your work. Thank you so much. If you have resonated with Lynette's story and you feel like you might need some support, you can always look to Postpartum Support International, postpartum.net, for resources in your local area. For those of you who are joining us for the first time on the Mom and Mind podcast, please know that you can listen from any podcast platform, subscribe so that you can get every episode downloaded directly to you. Hearing stories of pain to healing are so vital for us all to know that we can make it through our own pain too. Thank you again, Lynette, for sharing your story. And thank you everyone for listening. Until next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us at momandmind.com. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.